Hey, Kareem Sirajuddin here, founder of Nude Human Consulting. The Coffee with Kareem podcast aims to provide Muslims and people of all backgrounds a space to share their life gifts, meet dynamic guests, and enhance the human experience one cup of coffee at a time. Sit back and sip. Episode 11, Productivity in Islam. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. Today I have a very special guest, Muhammad Faris, a.k.a. Abu Productive, and the founder of Productive Muslim. Uh, Muhammad, thank you so much for being on the show today. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Are you drinking coffee? Actually, tea. <laughs> this tea. Actually, I'm having tea. Yep. tea. Tea is fine too. I'm, I'm a fan of tea. What's your uh, <laughs> preference? You like caffeine free or? No, black, this time of the afternoon, black tea gets me going for another couple more hours. Nice. Mashallah. That's great. Well, Brother Muhammad, I would love us, uh, for you to start us off here and just tell us a bit more about your background, your upbringing. Um, it seems like you're kind of all over the, the world at times. And um, uh, where exactly are you uh, based today and, and where did you uh, grow up? Sure. So I was born in Tanzania, in East Africa, and I lived in Saudi Arabia for most of my childhood. Then I studied, uh, did my bachelor's and master's in the UK, a bachelor's in commerce and finance, and a, and a master's in finance and investment. And now I'm in Dallas, Texas. So don't ask me how I ended up here. That's just <laughs> one of those things in life. Excellent, excellent. Now, currently, Productive Muslim um, serves you know, thousands of people all over the world. Uh, this is a company that prides itself on helping Muslims be more productive and integrate spiritual and scientific um, techniques to help Muslims just get their lives together and, and not stay stuck. How, how would you describe the mission of Productive Muslim? Sure. So our mission is to help Muslims lead productive lives spiritually, physically, and socially. Um, the idea is that it's not about just helping people get things done, but it's helping people get the right things done for this world and the next. Kind of that's where the, the context and the mission is. Excellent, excellent. And what made you start this or, or think about it? I mean, your background um, isn't necessarily in psychology or the professional helping field per se. So how did you end up uh, getting into this um, into this mission? Sure, it's all, it really wasn't one of those things that you set out and plan for. I started getting into the science of productivity when I was doing my master's in the UK and I was feeling overwhelmed. Um, I was having time management issues. I was feeling overwhelmed, stressed out. And I realized there must be a better way of just so, of someone managing their time and, and basically getting things done. So I started getting into the whole science of productivity and I, and I loved it. I loved the whole science and how it really did make a difference in my life. And it made me get a lot of things done, achieve a lot of things, stay organized, uh, stay efficient. So then I started decided one day one morning i was walking um to to the fajr masjid to the to the masjid and i, I literally these two words productive muslim popped in my head and i thought hey that'll be a cool name for a blog i, I always wanted mm. to start a blog for some reason um so i said okay, let me just sort of start a blog called productive muslim and the initially the mission was like i said it was wasn't there was no mission really per se it was just me writing articles about how to be more productive get things done move things around um and there were two months into the whole thing i shut the website down I thought that was a stupid idea. No one's going to you know, watch this blog. Mm. Um, and then 
six months down the line, I graduated my master's. I was bored. Uh, the big bad world did not sound too enticing for me. And I was like, you know what? Let me just restart this whole productive system thing again. I had an encouragement from a 10-year-old boy who emailed me and said, hey, I loved your blog. Why did you shut it down? I thought, great, 10-year-old. I have a 10-year-old boy who's a fan. Oh, actually, wow. I tell today I credit it to him and say, you have the all the hasanat from Barak Muslim is going to your, towards him. MashaAllah. And uh, the second thing is I came across a hadith that said, Burika li fi the early hours are blessed for my nation. Mm. And that's when it hit me that all that I was reading about productivity, a lot of it is based on Islamic values, rituals, and mindset. And that's when that's when you can see the mission really started, was how does faith boost productivity? How can we look into the Quran, the seerah, the history of Islamic civilization, and really dig up these jewels that can help us lead healthy, productive lives? Not just Muslim ummah, I'm actually thinking beyond that, you know, towards the, the world itself. Right now, it's amazing that in the productivity field, there's a there's actually a, people are struggling because they realize that this whole time management thing, this whole productivity industry by itself, is is reaching a point where it's becoming unbearable. People are just say, how much can we squeeze more into our time, and how much how many hacks can you keep up, you know, bringing up? And because there's this lack of meaning and purpose, that dimension, right, and the values and the idea of the soul, the ruh, that's not discussed. And that's why I feel like there's a very powerful message that productive Muslim and, and everyone who's all the Muslims who are working in this helping industry to really give that narrative, the counter narrative on another way of living, another way of leading, leading uh, super productive lives. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I've been following your work, I want to say for almost six years, man, like back in the day. And I even kind of observed as a fan, as a subscriber, um, how your your business model has evolved and, and just has been able to provide so much wonderful content and um, skill sets for people. So even that, I got to witness the productivity of a uh, productive Muslim, you know, evolve over time, which is just amazing. Um, you know, this time thing is is a big issue. I, I hear this often a lot. Like, well, I don't have time, brother. You know, and and one of the things I, I like to do with people is I say, well, let's take your week and and uh, identify every hour. Monday through Sunday and see exactly how you spent your time. And many people actually realize they have a lot of time that they could use. They just don't use it for the things that they need to. What would you say about that? Yes, definitely. So there's definitely the sort of uh, what I call the physical aspect of time management, which is, you know, look at how much time you're using, how much time you could be doing better. There's also the idea of what exactly do within your time. Um, you know, could you perhaps layer activities? For example, if you are exercising and listening to a podcast, if you are driving and listen to something useful, um, and you know, not this is not to be confused with multitasking, which is something we go. I'm actually, you know, we're actually against. But layering meaning is taking a physical activity and a mental activity, but layering them together instead of having two physical activities or two mental activities. Um, but the, so those those are things you can do with your own actual sort of physical time, the hours that you have. But there's also that spiritual dimension of time, and I think this is what we normally don't discuss: the idea of barakah in someone's time, the idea of um, how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can mm. enable you to achieve so much in so little time, and that is the idea of barakah, basically. And you know, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is a, is, a, is a grand example of that: how he achieved so much in just 23 years of his message. Um, and I think there's a there's a great um, amazing. You, you you're a fan of this book as well. Contemplation Malik Badri talks about this idea of of sometimes Allah expanding and contracting things. And I think that this idea of expanding time that imagine imagine the split second you have or the one minute you have Allah Subhanahu wa Taala expanding it. So it's almost like you do so much within that, within that one minute one hour. 
compared to someone else who's that one minute is contracted and they don't get much done. And I feel like that discussion and that dialogue needs to be loud and clear as is, and be as important as getting things done and look at your calendar and how much can you squeeze in, how much what activities can you do. I love that. No, I, that's exactly the follow-up question I was going to have was, yeah, this idea of baraka and time. You know, is this just, you know, uh, just purely metaphysics here or does it actually is it actually experienced by many? And I love the way you explain that. Um, I think another way to also understand it is, I mean, if we accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists and Allah is eternal in his names and attributes, and like I found, for instance, you know, if you're in a time of contemplation or, or even making dhikr, um, you might sit there and think like, man, I've been doing this for like an hour, you know, but then you realize it was only five minutes. Um, and it feels like you said, this time was stretched out or expanded. And one thing that kind of tripped me out before is I thought like, subhanAllah, I mean, when you plug in to the eternal reality, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, time and space as you experience it, it's not going to be, it's not going to have the same contours, right? Or, or passing as it would if you're not tapped into that reality. Is this kind of uh, what, what you mean as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the, the, the challenge, of course, is that we are brought up as, um, especially now with, with the globalized, secularized world, we're brought up uh, with a sort of uh, logical, scientifically backed uh, background, which has its merits, the idea of that, you know, if you have to test things, make sure things are, you know, scientifically backed and proven. But sometimes the, 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 when, when sometimes that goes a bit too far and the idea of the soul, the spirit, the ruh, the spiritual side, the alam al-ghayb is not even factored in, that's the danger. And that's where a lot of this can can sometimes can trip people up. And and trust me, I personally, even though you, I know this intellectually, I know this on a, on a on a spiritual level, on an intellectual level, but sometimes I struggle. Like I say, okay, if I if I read Quran in the morning for one hour, that's one hour that will be taking away from something else. And that's that's my brain, and I have to remind myself, like, no, if you invest that one hour with your akhirah, there'll there'll be so much barakah in your time that you'll do get so much more done in the day compared if you just try to rush off, for example, after Salat al-Fajr, for example and go back to your work so just having to almost like having that daily battle with yourself to remind us even though it logically might not make sense it's just like for example it's hilarious about you know personal finance experts you know if you read all the big guys big gurus dave ramsey's you know the ramit sethi's all these personal finance experts will tell you that one of the strategies to have more wealth is to give more wealth <laughs> so and they'll and they'll say it doesn't doesn't make logical sense we don't know what it is but there's wow. something about giving away you know giving to charity that increases your personal finance so it's almost observable but they just don't know what it is. Uh, even, for example, people like Robin Sharma, who has started his whole 5 a.m. club. And there's a, I remember watching a video saying, guys, there's something in 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what it is. It's something at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's, you have to wake up 5 in the morning. It's like this amazing <laughs> thing. And, um, and I look back and this is Baraka. So I think this is where... Um, the power of, of, of really, uh, as Muslims, we need to own, since we have, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, we have the, the last divine message to mankind, and mankind needs this message. It's very, very selfish of us as Muslims to not go out in the world and say, hey, here's a way of leading your life that is more balanced, that is more healthy, that is more, that is, has, that balances your, your soul and your body, and it's not overwhelmed, it's not stressing, stressed out. I mean, one thing that I, I just boggles my mind, have you ever read anywhere in the seerah that Rasulullah was stressed out in the, in the modern day stress that we have? Mm-hmm. 
like he was totally chilled, like in the chill in the sense that he was not like he was just he was not stressed out the way we are stressed out. Yes, he was worried. Yes, he had anxieties. He doesn't worry about you know this umma, but he was not stressed out the way we are. And we're stuck in traffic, we get stressed out. We wait, you know, a bit long lines at Starbucks, we get stressed out. You know, he was not stressed out. He will be walking the city of Medina, and then. A little girl would just tap him and, and ask for him to go around with him, and he would go around with her the whole town and come back. He always not stressed out. He always he always says, "Sorry, I'm busy. Go away. What are you doing?" Right. I'm the messenger, all humankind here. I, I don't have time for this. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So that that for me is this idea. So when when time management becomes not about just trying to squeeze things in, it's idea of balancing between what you need to do, between the rights of other people, between the spiritual side, and and just like you know. Uh, on a last point, that sometimes you might think that that one hour invest in the Quran, one hour invest in doing something for your spiritual side, um, but you might have like lots of things to do. And I've had a situation where, if like my my whole day, I thought, my God, I've got a really packed schedule, but let me just put this one hour and really focus on the Quran, for example. And I remember coming back to my actual work and realized that half the stuff that I had to do for that day was either already taken care of or I didn't I didn't to do in the first place. So baraka is not just about getting things done. It's like getting the right, well, lots of time it takes care of things that you don't even need to take care of because it's already been taken care of. You just have to sit back and relax and not get too overwhelmed. Subhanallah. No, that's a wonderful reminder of, of how important it is for us to, you know, hold the insight of the unseen and how there are other properties at play here when it comes to what manifests in the physical world. And this is a common belief in all religions, right? And what struck me also as you were speaking was, you know, Surah Al-Baqarah, you know, the fact that right at the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us, this is the book of which there is no doubt, a guidance for those who have taqwa or God consciousness. And then the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ those who believe in the unseen. It's not those who believe in goodness or who believe in, you know, God and angels. It's like right at the beginning, it says you have to accept that there are unseen realities or metaphysics to the physical world, that we're just seeing a sliver of what actually exists. And that's quite humbling. And, and I think um, you, you shared some really brilliant insights to remind us of how this interplay is a real thing. Absolutely. And one more thing on that point is that the beautiful thing about Islam, it gives us a code to tap into this unseen. See, many, many right now, there's this whole movement of meditation and mindfulness and, you know, people they're realizing that we need to tap into our spirituality and, and to tap into this whole spiritual side of us. But it's, it's almost like the blind leading the blind, right? They're trying to figure this out and it's, it's very difficult. As Muslims, we're given a complete code of life that tells us how many times to tap into, how to tap into it, what is to expect it, how to how to measure baraka, how to see baraka. I mean, it's unbelievable just just that what Allah Subhanahu has given us as Muslims is a way to live our lives. And like I, I keep repeating that this is now high time for Muslims to come out with this knowledge and share and, and to offer a counter narrative to basically the self help industry. If you go to the bookstore, I'm really sad to see there's not many Muslims writing self help books for the mainstream. And I think that is something that you know everyone in the helping industry needs to step up their game and start doing. I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, you know, when I was 16, I I knew I wanted to start psychology. I mean, I've always been a people's person. And um, over the years, I, I've noticed there's this, you know, huge taboo towards mental health and, and, and the industry of psychology. And there's still, you know, alhamdulillah, the Muslim communities, from what I've observed, um, have come a long way since I was a kid. Um, but at the same time, there's still a lot of taboo. There's a lot of um, 
uh, I guess you could say skepticism towards these types of fields, you know, and I almost feel like we're just starting to break through with mental health and therapy and psychology, but with other communities, coaching is already pretty established in a blossoming uh, field. Um, how would you describe life coaching or coaching and, and why is it important for, for Muslims to consider this as a valuable tool and instrument to better our lives? Okay, I'm going to start off by, by first of all bashing the life coaching industry. Please forgive me, anyone <laughs> in the life coaching industry. Um, I'm, I'm personally against the term uh, life coaching. Um, I feel that the term is uh, misused, misrepresented, and there's a lot of people who, you know, you have somebody who has no experience in life standing up and says, I'm a life coach just because they give good advice and people listen to them. I mean, that for me is really hurting the sort of whole coaching industry. So I personally am against the idea of having a life coach in the sense of someone who thinks they can take care of your whole life because there are two aspects. Number one, unless you're the Prophet who can really give you the right direction every part of your life, then yes, that's that's probably somebody who you can listen to. But anyone else is just opinions. Anyone else is telling you stuff which is basically opinions. And to be dependent to have those opinions on people that, you know, sometimes, you know, if they're Muslim, that's even better. But if they're not even non-Muslim who don't understand the Akhir perspective and all the other rituals and rites that we have to fulfill, then that becomes very difficult for somebody to balance and to understand how to to basically um, agree what, they, what to hear from their coach from what they're doing in their life. So, and so from that perspective, you know, the coaching way it's practiced or life coaching, the way it's practiced and advertised and marketed these days, unfortunately, I'm, I'm totally against. Having said that, coaching itself as a, as a, as a practice is something that I deeply respect. Um, and, and, and I want to make clear that, you know, for some people, what they think they're doing coaching is actually they're doing teaching or mentoring or consulting. They're not doing coaching. So let me give you an example. Kareem, let's say you come to me and say, Hamad, I'm having time management issues. Help me go through this. If I was a teacher, I'll say, Kareem, here's some information about it. Here's uh, some resources. Here's a website. And here's some tools to use. So I'm teaching you how to manage your time. Mm. If I'm a mentor, I'll say, Kareem, based on my experience managing my own time, here's how you should manage your own time. So I'm sharing my own experiences with you. If I'm a consultant, I would come to you and say, Karim, based on what you have told me, here are three solutions that are suitable for your life. So here's a software solution. Here's a, I don't know, some kind of training solution. So I give you almost as a consultant, give you solutions for your specific problem. But a coach, and this is the, way, this is the definition of a coach, and I hope people who want to become life coaches can, can hear this and be very clear about this. A coach is somebody who does not actually share and you know, give advice or push somebody to for a set agenda does not push someone according to an agenda a coach simply facilitates self-directed learning and self uh transformation so your your role for example the same the example of the time management if you come to me and say Hamad, i need help with with time management i would say what sort of help do you need what specifically need help with and i'll try to number one understand the narrative you're coming in from Number two, trying to understand any what, what are the exact outcome you want to get out of the coaching. Number three, trying to challenge any sort of negative self-talk that is impacting the way you manage your own time. Number four, you would tell me, I would, I would, I would ask you what sort, of, what sort of actions can you take? So you tell me the solution. I want to tell you the solutions. You would give experiments and we'll work together to see if these experiments make sense. And finally, I want to support you, um, make sure you're basically holding you accountable and making sure that there is no roadblocks on your way. That is coaching. It's a facilitating role. And, and unfortunately, like I said, unfortunately that a lot of people um, 
who jump into coaching without without uh, credentials, without training, um, they think it's just a matter of you know having conversations with somebody and giving good advice, and it's not. So that rant aside, back to your question on uh, the idea of what it was important to the community. I mean, coaching is a very very powerful tool. I personally, right now, I have coaches. Wow. Um, I have actually three coaches right now on different aspects of my life. And this is another thing: find a coach for a specific area of your life. Do not have a life coach. You know, someone who has all like the guru has all the answers. You want a specific life coach depending on the need. For example, I personally have a business coach who helps me with my business. I have a I have a coach who helps me coach, meaning like they they coach my coaching to check if my coaching is appropriate and is, right. is and is done properly. And I have a coach that is on more on the sort of personal side personal side of my life. So these are three coaches that I tap into to help me move forward in my life. That's that's where coaching can be very powerful. It's very transformative transformative. It's very, very powerful, but you need to find people who are qualified, people who are have the credentials, people who have the experience, who not who are not there just to give you solutions or teach you. They're there to help you move forward. Now, again, nothing against consultants, nothing against teachers, nothing against mentors. Those are also very, very helpful. But make sure you're clear that that's what you're getting. You're not getting coaching. I would like to summarize what I understood. So life coaching um, is not necessarily the best way to describe what coaching is all about because as you said there are so many dimensions to one's life and let's say i need coaching in my marriage but i go to a life coach who isn't married you know how well how strong can they really help me for instance so you're saying that coaches should have specializations and it's not so much about mentoring or giving advice or even giving you solutions but i almost hear you saying it's about self-empowering the clients themselves, right? It's about helping them. You know, it's like that famous saying, you know, I'm not going to give you fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish so that you can go and get fish and, and, and eat in the future on your own. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, you can, as a, as a coach, you can work with somebody from different backgrounds. Um, now, again, like I said, I prefer so a coach who specializes in various areas. If you're a relationship coach, that's your specialization. If you are an expert, a productivity time manager coach, that's your area. And the reason for this is because you can then really become an expert in your field. You can learn books. You see what's latest in the field. You can understand. And you can have much, you can become much more helpful to your client Versus you saying, I'm a life coach and I can solve every aspect of your life. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is like this idea of facilitating, that you're simply there to facilitate. And, and you, you have to believe, like, number one, as, as a coach, you should come to the, to the coaching conversation as an adult speaking to an adult, not as I'm the master and you are the, the servant who doesn't know, I'm the master, you're the student who doesn't know anything. I should come as equal, like I'm meeting Kareem and I'm going to work with him as an adult, Adult talking to an adult. It's not a position of power being a coach versus a position of lack of power, lack of information. It's a, it's an adult to adult conversation. But the coaches, so the coaches only facilitate and to only suggest and to only help facilitate, not to empower, not not to sort of not to impose, not to uh, push something down the agenda. Literally, the client comes to the agenda, the client decides the outcome. The coach has to support and challenge the the client to make sure they get the desired results. And nine times out of 10, honestly, the client knows exactly what needs to be done. He or she just needs a way of someone to facilitate that thinking process. And that's our role as coaches. We are partners with our clients, not masters or teachers. Got it. So it's a co-participatory relationship and you're facilitating self-empowerment so that 
they can actually come up with their own solutions. You're not giving it to them. They, you're actually helping them be able to come up with their own solutions because if this is a skill that they develop, then inshallah they'll be able to develop more solutions for whatever issues come up in the future. Is that kind of part of the philosophy? Absolutely. And think about it. If someone comes to time management issue. I, I guarantee you they know exactly what needs to be done. But then you just have to find, you have to almost find out what is it that's challenging them from implementing what they already know need to get done. That's just, that's your role. They know they have, they don't have to wake up early. They know how they need to use a calendar. They know that they have to schedule themselves, schedule important stuff. They know the stuff, but there are certain things, little legally things that you can iron out as a coach and help them, little roadblocks, like on roadblocks, you can, can kind of make it clear. You can almost like shine a light on those issues. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had this issue. Now I understand why I can never manage my time properly. And boom, that's where you, you really become the coach who um, helps me realize, raise awareness of, of the potential for change you have. Right. So, so psychology kind of does play a role in all of this. Would you say that's true? And if so, how? Absolutely. Psychology, I mean, the coaching industry has benefited a lot from psychology. It's just sad that the coaching industry has not um, regulated itself as strongly as psychology. You know, psychology having more of a scientific background, you know, it has a bit more regulation, has a bit more oversight, but coaching became, you know, almost like a free for all. Now there is some movements on the International Coach Federation, other organizations that are trying to put some kind of some kind of structure on coaching to kind of make it much more, you no, know, basically not to ruin the industry of everybody else, basically, because like I said, everyone and, and becoming a coach these days. Um, but for example, there's a lot of techniques from psychology that you use, for example, challenging self-talk, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of things in psychology are actually used uh, as part of coaching. The only difference is as uh, psychologists and therapists focus more on the past, coaches focus more on future, whereas psychology and therapists focus more on problems, you know, addictions and anxieties and depression, things which are problems in someone's life. Uh, coaches focus more on solutions for for basically for and goals that people want to achieve. So there is a slight difference, but there's a lot of overlap. Right. So somebody who has PTSD or clinical depression should not be speaking to a coach about that stuff because they need to first cleanse themselves of these past wounds and be able to get their lives together before they can really, you know, hit the ground running. And that would be where maybe a coach would step in and really be able to help them fly after that. Absolutely. One one of the principles we have in coaching industry is never talk and don't go into problem talk. Like if you if you come up to, to me with time management issues and I start going into the history and your childhood and all the issues that led to time management issues, that's not my role. I'm not qualified to to, 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 to do that. I can only say, you know what, we're looking forward. We're more solutions focused. So we assume that whoever comes to coaching comes to coaching with you know a relatively healthy psychological um, sort of um, um, what's the term to use there in the, in the I forgot the term for it um, profile yeah like a healthy psychological profile for us to move them forward and help them achieve their goals. Got it. So individuals who are already you know quote unquote functioning and for the most part have uh, solid mental health, they're going to benefit the most from coaching techniques. Again, again, sometimes it's, it's a combination of both. I know people who use both. Literally, they have a therapist who they go to for problem talk, for issues that they need to solve. But at the same time, they have a career coach. 
Right. Or they have a relationship coach, or they have somebody in the business coach. So it's not an either-or relationship. You can actually have both. Right. And 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 the more see the the, the challenge here is that a lot of times people look at coaching as uh, or psych, or even therapy sometimes as um is like oh, do I really need it? And you know I can figure this stuff stuff on my own. Yes, you can figure stuff on your own potentially, but it's almost like having that shortcut. If one conversation, two conversations or three conversations make a huge difference in your life, help you move forward 10 steps, 20 steps, you know, life is short. You don't have time to waste that time, you know, mulling over the past or worry about the future. But if you work with coaches and therapists and people in the helping industry, they are trained, especially if they're trained professionals, you can get a lot of value. And, and a lot of transformative, some transformative change happening in your life. Right. And I think a powerful analogy is probably the first one that comes up for most people when they hear the word coach is the sports industry. You know, if you want to become a good football player or basketball player, um, the coach directs you and also teaches you how to have those skills so that you can play the game. They can't play the game for you. Right. You need to be able to still uh, play your part on on the field or, or on the court. Uh, so is there a similarity there or would you say that's not a great analogy with a slight difference um, in the sense that. So, you know, in the, in the coaching industry, we did uh, the, the sports coach analogy that gives the impression that, again, there's that coach who knows everything and that player who needs the coach's support to kind of learn all the tactics. And like I said, that's not with how the coaching works in the professional coaching sort of the helping uh, industry where it's more of partnerships between coach and client. You can, you, as a coach, I could work with an executive from the, from let's say, uh, airline industry or an executive from the banking industry. I don't have to know their industry. I don't have to know the, 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 the background of the, how the organization works, but I could still, using the same coaching techniques, help them overcome roadblocks, figure out, you know, solutions to the challenges of this career or personal and help them go forward and achieve their goals because of the techniques that you learn within the coaching industry. So it's not, it's not a, a, a someone, it's not a player where it comes and goes, hey, I have all the skills, I have all the tactics, let me, let me show you. Again, that's more of a consultant, more of a teacher mentor. It's more of a partner who works with you to facilitate that change you're looking to achieve. Got it. And I love how you highlighted that it can certainly be a parallel, um, process of transformation with therapy or counseling because these do specialize in different dimensions of the human experience. So it doesn't have to be either or. It can sometimes be parallel work um, for the human becoming. Absolutely. We all work mainly from our brains. And honestly, if we want to achieve any success in life, a lot of us, we basically are are working in professions which basically use your brains. And sometimes you may want to make sure that this machine is, at, is a fully oiled machine, just like you'd go to the doctor every day to check your, you know, every year to check your physical health and you check your eyes every year and you go to the dentist every year. I mean, how many of us go and check our mental health and say, hey, am I, you know, am mm-hmm. I having a healthy mental profile to make sure I'm afford that? Am I having, am I making sure that I'm staying um, at the top of my game mentally? And then do I have somebody, a coach who can really even push me further, who can really be the person who partners with me on a journey of self-transformation self-learning that truly makes a difference in my life. And I think that's what we're looking for. Excellent. Now, in the field of therapy, you have what's called different um, approaches. 
Okay, so you have like behavior, behaviorist, you have psychoanalyst, you have cognitive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In the world of coaching, uh, Brother Muhammad, is it similar or is there kind of a universal model, as you said, that can be applied um, no matter what your industry or what your needs are? So the model, the framework that I personally use is called the four square um, solution framework It's by Dr. Robert Hicks. Um, and he's got a book out, which is highly recommend for any aspiring coaches called the Highly Effective uh, process. Uh, double check. I think they call the highly effective process coach. I'll give you the links. So you can stick mistake in the show notes. Sure. Um, and basically, the idea is very simple. He said that the coach's role, if you think about it, the coach's role, it needs to impact two things: the client's thoughts or the client's actions. Right. So these are two two changes trying to. Either trying to change the way the client thinks, or you're trying to change the way the client acts. And for those two things, the thoughts and actions, there are also two forces you can use. You can either use basically the carrot or the stick. You can either support the client or you can have challenge the client. So based on this, there's like, like a four square uh, quadrant, four quadrants came out of this, which is basically support for thought, support for action, challenge for thought, challenge for action. And the whole coaching framework is built around that. I guess this is the framework that I personally use. It's the coaching framework that a lot of coaches who are part of the International Coach Federation use, which is mm. how many of you basically, um, you know, support for thought means you're trying to understand where the person's thinking, where they're coming from. Challenge for thought is trying to challenge them, make sure they challenge negative self-belief or self-talk or, you know, clearly think about the outcomes they want. Uh, support for action is you're trying to check the readiness of the person to take action basically how how motivated are they and challenge for action is where you actually tell that we basically challenge them to come up with those action experiments to move forward with the with the with their lives excellent thank you for sharing that now a very common tagline you hear in the industry of coaching is this idea of unleashing one's potential what do you think about that and and uh, what does that even mean i mean it comes down to you know all of us having um and this is why, if you think about it, this is why Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is an amazing example for this. I mean, he is the he is the true coach by all means. I mean, he transformed Bedouin Arabs who were fighting amongst each other, who were killing their own daughters, who were doing some crazy stuff in Jahiliya yeah. to these amazing human beings. Literally, he unlocked amazing human beings who literally went around the world, spread message Islam, and completely transformed the face of the world. That that to me, that is like the ultimate example of what coaching can do. And he did this literally by he unleashed that potential. He unleashed that potential. He, sh- he saw, and this one of the one of the you know muhaddithin and the people see us. Why did the Quran came to to the Arabian Peninsula? You know, out of all places, not to one of the civilized worlds like the Romans or to the Byzantines or any of the other civilizations. And one of the people said it because the Arabs around that time were the closest to the fitrah. They were closest to their natural disposition. They were living a very, very uh, sort of very you know basic, you know, almost close to fitra lifestyle. So they were, they had the most potential for to change compared to someone who's have already established civilization or established ways of living. So I think that that for me shows you the potential of that. Where sometimes some people have the skills, have the capacities, have the mental abilities, but they just need somebody to kind of facilitate that change for them kind of kind of help guide the process because it it takes a while it takes a while to to figure this stuff on your own sometimes you get too busy and get overwhelmed and you just get stuck in a rut for so long whereas having maybe two three four five six conversations with a coach can really transform and help you make those leaps and bounds you need in your life 
Right. And for those of us who are unaware, the term fitra here is often translated as the natural temperament of human, yeah, the natural temperament or disposition of human beings uh, that is most aligned with nature and, and the universe as it is, a kind of the most organic <laughs> state of, of human consciousness, if you will. Um, so that's what fitra means. And you're saying this was a prime um the the arabian peninsula and the people there were kind of primed for this project because they basically and by the way the, the arabian peninsula was also a place that the other surrounding civilizations as you mentioned they weren't that interested in it they were like oh whatever you know they're just people living around the desert and and very simple but then subhanallah they came and absorbed all the civilizations around them and built their own which stood uh you know the the scrolls of time so to speak so yeah it's a very interesting uh, lens to think about the prophet sallallahu as the ultimate coach, you know, um, the prophetic potential, if you will, that, that he brought, uh, and how he was able to take, uh, this society and, and make it, uh, what it became. And if you think about it, don't you think that that's the message of Islam, right? The purpose of Islam is to, to transform this human being, to bring this human being, this, the human being that was honored by angels, when angels prostrated to Adam alayhi salam, to, you know, you know, to us to live up to that potential, to be that, that, that honorary creature that Allah Ta'ala honored us. And, and that's, that's part of the process. That's, the Islam came with the idea of how can we re- raise the dignity as human beings instead of being worshipping idols or worshipping a slave, or worshipping, you know, each other or worshipping things which are not supposed to worship. Islam came to raise the dignity of the human being. And I think that's where unleashing the potential on many, many levels comes in as well. Absolutely, mashallah. Now, how has the Muslim response been to your coaching services and productive Muslim? I mean, you have an international fan base. Um, you provide retreats and workshops all over the world. And uh, how has that? How's how has the response been? I mean, obviously, it's it's probably pretty good since you're still in business. <laughs> but I mean, what was it like at first? And uh, what were some of the barriers or taboos you had to deconstruct in order to get where you are today? Absolutely. So I think it comes down to um, there's there's two things. Number one is making people realize how much coaching can help, you know, help them achieve. So there's two parts. One is making sure that they are aware of the concept of coaching, how coaching can help them, what can it help them with, and how clear or the clarity. And this is, comes down sometimes can be frustrating for clients because they they want solutions. They just want, hey, tell me what I should do. Tell me how I should run my business. Tell me how I should delegate. Tell me how I should manage my time. And we try to explain that coaching more of a self-facilitating role. And it, it's, it takes time because they're, they're not using, why, well, why am I paying for coaching if, if you're not giving me solutions? Um, and they have to almost like educate in that process. And second, of course, comes down to, you know, just them trusting you. Say, are you the right person for this role? Um, and I'll also encourage all coaching clients to, number one, praise the khara before they hire me. Number two, to look for other coaches, to speak to other coaches, to feel comfortable whoever whoever they work with in the end, um, and just take it from there. And if they're if signing up, then they sign up and they're committed. And I'm committed to them 100%. We move forward with that. So, again, it's – it's um, Right. There's just many, many levels for the coaching in terms of reaction. Some, of course, see it as an unnecessary expense uh, that is not really needed, that, you know, I could figure this stuff on my own, that I know um, I have, you know, I have, I, have, oh, I have teachers who can help me. But again, there's there, you know, when you realize the value of coaching and how it can, especially with people who are trained and who have the credentials and who know, understand how to ask powerful questions and to know how to enter the coaching relationship as a partner, not as a, as a, as a master or teacher, it makes a huge difference to the results you get in the end. Um, and the second thing is to realize that even if you can't afford coaching, I understand sometimes coaching can be expensive. 
even if you cannot afford coaching, for you to think, well, how can I get coaching if I cannot afford one-to-one coaching? For example, do I sign up for group programs? Do I, do I, for example, try to read books? Do I go listen to workshops? You can, you can, you know, you can try to make the world around you as a coach. I mean, alhamdulillah, we're so blessed with so many resources around us, podcasts and lectures and workshops and YouTube videos. You just have to be very, very um, intentional on the type of change you're trying to give. Example, let me give you an example. Before, a few years back before I got married, I realized, okay, I need to now understand this whole marriage thing. What is expected? <laughs> How is this going to work? Now, I could have hired a relationship coach. I could have hired a coach who can help me understand sort of how marriage works, especially in the relationship aspect, all that stuff. But instead, I invested more into reading books, attending programs, learning stuff, going to lectures. And that helped me. I'm not saying I'm not perfect, still need a lot of work. I'm sure my wife will tell you that. But it's more like helped me at least. And, you know, I was more intentional that this is one area I'm, I'm struggling with. With, let me learn about it. So again, it's not you know, everyone needs to sign up for one-on-one coaching or private coaching. It's for those who are, I think this is what are called elite performers, people who really add their peak performance, who want to take the next step, want to achieve their goals faster, the, the impatient ones, the people who say, you know what, I know that I could do it much better faster and I need someone to help me move me forward. That's coaching is for you and, and someone's willing to change. They're coming to the process with that intention to change. But if somebody else thinking, you know, realize, you know what, it's not the right time or this is too expensive, then there are many, many ways for you to facilitate coaching for your life by being intentional about how you approach coaching. Oh, that's great advice because, of course, we know that there's always a prerequisite knowledge for any subject matter and action plan. And so if I increase my education or knowledge about coaching or biology or whatever it is, it's also going to open up my eyes to seeing, okay, maybe there are certain things that I now recognize I'll need specialized or professional support to achieve. Right. But you won't necessarily understand that if you don't know anything about the field or the subject matter. Absolutely. Like a lot of times someone comes to my coaching consultation call and I tell them, you know what, I suggest you just go read these three books, then come talk to me um, or go do these three programs and then come speak to me. Because I feel like they are such a they haven't reached a point even where they're ready to be coached because they're coming completely clueless. Now, hey, I'm happy to spend the time with you sort of getting up to speed, but I feel like you can get much more bang for your buck by number one, doing that background research and knowledge and learning, and then coming to the coaching prepared for those bits which need more personalized help in. Right. Now, there are some um, Muslims that believe that, you know, the dunya is cursed and it's okay to just get by. And these people might not always be very productive in their lives as far as, you know, the worldly matters. Okay. But when it comes to kind of religious rituals and rites and, and seeking only Islamic knowledge, they're like, well, that's why I'm here. So that's that's the point of, of my life. What, what would you what would your advice be to, to somebody with that type of mentality? So I mentioned in my book that um, there are five misconceptions that have that have destroyed productivity in the Ummah. When the Islamic civilization reached a point which is pretty much at its peak of its power and creativity and the innovation and all the amazing golden age we hear about, um, a lot of the scholars scholars around that time got worried. People were way too into much into the dunya. Literally, they, I mean, you hear about the amazing. I mean, you just go to Alhamra Palace or go to Turkey or go to some museum in Malaysia and you're like, man, they had a good life. They really knew how to, to enjoy life. Right. Um, they had a, a very, you know, very uh, lavish lifestyles, the music, the poetry, the dances, the, you know, the, the civilization was at its peak. And scholars around the time were worried that, you know, people were drifting way too much in the dunya. And hence, a lot of books came out on that time for called Dhamma Dunya, which means the, the to put down the dunya, the dunya is being cursed. And 
and they use evidence from the Quran, from the Sira, from the Sunnah to push that uh, that message. Now that message went way into the psyche that people just kind of pull, pulled away completely. That now we're in the other extreme, where people, like you said, people thinking that, hey, I'm, you know, what's the point? Why should I even invest myself? So first of all, to, just to to clarify that misconception that. You know, people, especially people, people use verse in the Quran or hadith from Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is to remind that what what the Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is cursing in the Quran, or is putting down or speaking negatively about. For example, وَمَلْحَيَاتُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا لَعِبٌ وَلَهُونَ that this this hayat dunya is except for play and 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 games. Or there are many, you know, there's a uh, verse in Surah Al-Tawbah. Um, uh, oh, you believe, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, oh, you believe, you know, what is it with you that when you're told to uh, to basically to to go for the sake for the cause of Allah, you you stick down to, you you know, you, you kind of sort of kind of you really almost like you heavily hold yourselves down to earth. Mm. Are you comfortable with this life? Compared to the hereafter, so one of the one of the Islamic thinkers um, that I follow, named Dr. Ahmed Khair Al Umari, um, is a fascinating writer. He said, you know, if you notice, whenever Allah Subhanahu wa Taala puts down the dunya, he used the term al hayat dunya, which right. is basically the comforts of this world. And so, if you are basically doing stuff simply for the comforts of this world, you're doing stuff just for the big house, the big car. Um, and simply just just for purely for that sake, and that's the purpose. Again, I'm not saying anything against having a big car, big house, but if if that's your purpose in life, that I'm here just to accumulate all this wealth and just to just just to enjoy life for the purely for the enjoyment of life, that's it. There's no other purpose behind me. That what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala puts down and says, hey, you're being too attached to this world, especially it's a temporary place we're going to be in. But if you notice in the Quran, also Allah says, "Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana fil akhirat hasana." Allah give us the goodness in this life and the goodness hereafter. Right. If there was no goodness, if there was, you know, if this dunya was cursed and, and, and bad, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teach us to is goodness in this world? And there and that our role as human beings, as 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 you know, as human beings to not is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also al Ard is to to raise, to develop this earth, to make it a a, a place that is sustainable, a place that is that is um that is uh, healthy, social, spiritual, environmental on all aspects. So Whenever a Muslim comes to me, especially young Muslims come to me, oh, I, I want to leave my engineering uh, class or I want to you know, drop off my career. I've had people who are in their 30s and 40s who, who, who want to throw away their careers and just go and study Islam. And I say, hey, that's, you know, that's a noble cause. I'm not going to stop you. But how will you serve, how will you serve this role as a, as a Khalifa of Allah, as a vice chair of Allah, as a, you know, how will you help in this innovation? Like I said earlier, this idea of innovating and helping developing this earth from, you know, if you just go back and start from scratch in, in, let's say, in a, in a, in a madrasa program or in a, in a, in an alim course, which again, no disrespect to the alim course, there are people who need to be scholars and the need of people, we need scholars in our world. But this important thing is we need to also have people who are innovators, creatives, engineers, the scientists who can really take things forward for this ummah because we've really pulled ourselves way into the, the gut now where you just don't find, you know, it's, it's, if you ever want to read a book that, that will make you think twice, um, there's a book called Startup Israel that talks about just the number of patents that a tiny country Israel has compared to the 22 Arab countries surrounding it. I mean that that just just that that number without getting right. into politics, just that number tells you something about where have we come as an ummah that we've lost that innovation, creativity, and how much we need to get back on on that track. 
No, I'm really glad you brought that up. And and yeah, the you, you were saying the patents, right, for inventions in Israel. I've also saw something that said that the number of books published in Israel compared to all the Arab world is still staggering, uh, staggeringly above. So again, something to reflect on. And I think it's great how you frame this and reminded us of the verses of the Quran and this idea, you know, specifically with this uh, verse from Surah Tatalba, this idea of it's almost like you don't weigh yourself down only in matters of the dunya. And I think another way to understand this too is the cursed aspects of the worldly life are the human constructions of it, right? So materialism or you know i'm only going to be successful or beautiful if i wear this brand or have this amount of money or the size of my house is like this this is when we're starting to get into this illusion of the dunya is it and that's all we have to focus on in other words you know when we go out to nature and go on a hiking trail and you see the trees and and waterfalls and and the and the birds singing i mean is that really cursed no that's those are ayat of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's a reflection of the beautiful divine nature that allah created for us as a sign. So I think it's it's a very good reminder, Brother Muhammad, that you shared with us here that we have to understand this idea of Hayat dunya is a specific dimension or manifestation of the human construction that we sometimes get overly attached to or weighed down by, which makes us forget our um, bigger picture and the ultimate purpose of uh, investing in our Akhirah as well. Would you say that's uh, accurate? Absolutely. That's very accurate. And one thing to think about, but if you think also about the, um, you know, we go to, if you go to Spain or you go to all the amazing architecture that the golden age of Islamic civilization left behind, even though these are considered quote unquote material things, but if you think about it, you look at them and what do you remember? You remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just seeing those beautiful buildings because they, when they built it, they build with the intention that they're trying to glorify Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and they, if you if you go to Spain, especially in Turkey and few of the places where there's still those those amazing uh, works of people who centuries ago built stuff for this dunya, right? Alhamra Palace, all those things were built for this dunya. But those places, if you look at them, the way they were built, the sincerity, the 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 the, the faith that was put into the spiritual side was put into it, reminds you of Akhir, reminds you of of what's Coming next, and that is where that's where this is where you need to bring almost like your dunya is almost your your your, your dunya is fueled by your akhirah. That you're building a company and you're building an invention and you're building this lifestyle and you're building a family with the fuel of the akhirah. It's almost like that. That's that's what we need. That that is the mindset we need. Instead of saying I'm going to burn everything here and just wait and for the for the akhirah to come along, that's the way where we need a lot of work to to work on the psyche. Right. Uh, what else came up for me was, uh, I believe it was a famous um, statement uh, uh, attributed to Sayyidina Umar, radiallahu anhu, Ibn Khattab, um, when he said, live in this life, this world, um, as if you'll be here forever, but live for the do- uh, akhirah as if you're going to die tomorrow. Have you heard this um, tradition? And, and what would you like to add to that? I mean, that's that's one of the powerful people... Um you know, people when people read that and they get confused. Another one, actually, this is the closest actually hadith Rasulullah that some people might misinterpret as very depressing, but it's actually very, very positive. And that is, you know, if you wake up in the morning, don't wait for the evening. And if you wake up for the evening, you know, if you live till the evening, don't wait for the morning. Right. And some might say, man, that sounds depressing. That seems I like just like, you know, just not do anything. But is it, but actually, that is that that teaches you presence, being present, and making the most of every moment, and not wasting time. 
you know, on stuff that basically don't add value to your life. I mean, that is very, very positive, productive message right there in this hadith about not wanting to to waste minutes. So yeah, so from for even from that saying, the idea is that you live in this world, and you say, you know, what? if I'm going to live, if I'm if I'm going to live forever, or one way of putting it, sometimes if I'm going to build something that my grandchildren and great great grandchildren will remember, what will it be? How will I approach this work? How will I do this work? At the same time. If I'm going to be dying tomorrow, if I'm if I if Akhir is going to start tonight, what is it that I that I can do that makes sure that this is also the most rewarding thing I do? I mean, one of the hadiths that tells me that Islam is a very productive religion is that famous hadith where the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu says that if either qamat al qiyama wa fi yadi hadikum fasila falizraha that if 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 the qiyama is going to start, literally you're seeing qiyama, you're seeing the heavens and the earth, you know, colliding, you're seeing the whole thing going. It's like the end of the day of judgment. The whole world's going bonkers. Everything's falling apart. And the prophet says, and in your hands you have a palm tree, a, a, a baby palm tree, then plant it. That really tells. That shows that that is the message of Islam. If so, anyone says, oh, dunya's bad, dunya's bad. Why on earth are you planting a palm tree? If dunya was bad, if dunya was cursed, when qiyamah is starting. And that is the mindset that we need for us to shift in our, in our head. Right. And and it's like often this idea, you know, of like the hadith you mentioned that the Prophet said, um, if you wake up in the morning, then don't wait for the. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you wake up in the morning, don't wait for the evening. Um, you know, when you said that, I, what came up for me was don't procrastinate. Perfect. Right. Get moving. Get get started. Don't assume or wait for something to come or oh, once this happens, all right, or once uh, this occurs, then I'll finally do it. It's like no, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We know our lives are measured by breaths, not by hours or years. Nobody has on their birth certificate like, hey, brother Kareem, you're gonna live until this age. You know, nobody knows, right? Absolutely. And then this this reminder is so great about um planting the tree and also uh going back to that statement of Omar you know living in the dunya uh as if you're going to be here forever some people again might take that as okay great i can take my sweet time and procrastinate but i saw it as also what you're what you're speaking of you know build your legacy as if you're going to be here forever so that people can benefit so that people can be nurtured and guided and and you can provide things that are useful that's that's also i think a healthier way to understand it and more aligned with the islamic message as a whole which you have done a great job highlighting for us here today awesome awesome stuff so you've been sharing some timeless jewels from the Quran um, to inspire the paradigm of productivity. Uh, are there any other ones that maybe you can share just to kind of bring this point home in case there are still people out there going, yeah, I don't know about this? I mean, for me, there, uh, there uh, there's uh, two verses that I, I put them in the front of my office. Uh, every day I walk in my office, I make sure I read them and remind myself of them. Uh, the first one is Surah Tawbah, uh, what it says, وَقُلِ اعْمَلُوا فَسَيَرَ اللَّهُ عَمَلَكُمْ وَرَسُولُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ and which is basically says that um, Allah says and say to them that you know so work or you know work do your best that Allah subhanahu will see your work and the messenger and all the believers now you know you know when you have a report and you have to submit that report it's oh this report will go to the principal to your teacher like, okay fine nope not a big deal oh this report will go to your teacher and the principal you're like oh okay Oh, by the way, this report will be to your teacher, the principal, the entire school, and all the neighboring schools as well. Suddenly, you'll take extra care about that report, right? You'll go the extra mile with that report because you realize right. my reputation at risk. Here, Allah says, وَقُولِ عَمَلُوا You work. 
فالسياره الله الله سي ورك اند ذا ماسنجر اند اول ذا بليفرز اند فور مي ذات از فيري انسبايرينج ذات ذا فاكت ذات يو نو يو كم ان تو ورك اند يو نو سبيشلي ذات الحمد لله بليس رايت ناو تو ورك اون اون برودكت مسلم فول تايم ذا ايديا اوف جست يو ورك اون سمثينج ذات الله سبحانه از واتشينج يو دو you pray the day when the message of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will see that work and all the believers and that's just mind boggling in that perspective that this is something that you can do and you can do in any field it doesn't have to be in in in, a, in an islamic company or a field that is you know working for the islamic industry you can work in any field if you work in that work with that mindset of i'm doing something allah subhanahu that i'm i'm submitting to allah subhanahu wa submitting to the messenger sallallahu alaihi it's just mind boggling you know procrastination will go out of the window um you know being uh, sloppiness will get out of the window uh, laziness will get out of the if you if you have the mindset allah subhanahu is watching me do this and watching me see what i want to produce you will work with amazing precision and and dignity and it's really sad that um you know we when we think about you know uh japanese workers right what comes to mind you know accuracy and people who are very diligent and kaizen and toyota right we think of german workers we think of efficiency and bmw and all that we think of swiss workers right i went to switzerland and just amazed by just the the the, the regard for quality like literally made you cry because how much unfortunately we think of muslim worker what comes to mind I mean, just that brand image of the Muslim worker is completely tarnished these days. Um, and you need to rethink us. We need to almost rebrand ourselves. This verse tells us how to rebrand ourselves. Rebrand yourself by realizing that you're not submitting a, a work to your job or to your boss or to your employer. You're doing this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is one of the most powerful messages in the Quran. The second one for me um, is Surah Al-Ankabut. The last verse of the Ankabut was says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُولَنَا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ That, and those who strive in our ways, in our cause, we will sh- we will guide them our ways. And Allah is with those who do things with ihsan, with excellence. And I think this is, again, one of the most comforting, like sometimes, you know, you go through ups and downs, uh, you go, you're struggling with your company, your work, and then you're like, you know, if we are striving for him, he will guide your ways. And that's the most comforting mm. verses in the Quran. And it really helps, you know, it really is very, very powerful from that perspective. That's so beautiful, Akhi. Thank you so much for sharing that. It really gives a lot of food for thought. Now, the Prophet ﷺ was a walking Quran, according to his our beloved mother Aisha. Anha. Um, can you give us maybe a couple of more examples of how the Prophet ﷺ exemplified these techniques of productivity and personal development from the seerah that, that you know of or may have included in your book? So I wrote an article, I think about a couple of years back, um, about the daily routine of Muhammad Sallallahu right? And and I mentioned this, of course, daily is a, is a it's not exactly daily every single day, but it's more like a a, a rough sketch of how his day looks like. And um, and you can find the article on Product Muslim, but the the key message that I kind of had five takeaways from 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 his day that really it did not occur to me. Number one was A, that how the Prophet's day was organized around prayer times. That if you notice his day, it was before, after Fajr, before Fajr, after Dhuhr, before Dhuhr, after Asr, before Asr. And this idea of planning your life around Salah time is very, very powerful. There's a book by uh, Jonathan Fields called Uncertainty and tells you one of the ways to ch- to channel ch- challenge uncertainty is to have some kind of structure to your day. And we're blessed to have to have the five daily prayers as a structure. I, I always tell, you know, imagine if you have no structure, if you do no salah in your day, your right. day will be completely all over the place. So planning your life around salah. The second thing was that even though um, the Prophet I mentioned this earlier was was that you know he he had the the message of saving mankind. I mean it's not an easy task. I mean just think about it. Pl- <laughs> plus, no, it's not. <laughs> plus he's a husband, a father, 
a grandfather, community person, statesman, general, and a prophet. I mean, but after all of this, he's not, his routine was not stressful. His routine did not seem like, like he's rushing and he's busy and he's like, you know, like stressed out. His routine was not stressful. Now, someone might say, oh, Muhammad, but this is 1400 years ago and, you know, lifestyle was different and modern, you know, they didn't have traffic jams, they didn't have, you know, but a lot of the things that sometimes you think about his life is actually applicable everywhere. And I feel like we sometimes complicate life more than we need to. Um, I mean, I mean, just uh, I always joke this, that even even exercise, we've complicated it. We've, you know, we, we drive to the gym so we can walk on a treadmill. Right. I mean, why do we just walk in the neighborhood around us? Why do we have to drive the gym? I mean, all this stuff, we've kind of some complicated our life more than we need to. So his life is life's not stressful. The third thing is that we that struck me when I was going through his daily routine is how much time you're spending with this family literally you know after fajr after sunrise he'll go back spend time with his family after he comes back from his sort of duha praise spend time with his family after lord he'll spend time with his family after asr he'll spend time with his family after maghrib he'll spend time with his family after isha will be back home i mean he's spending a lot of time with his family at least four or five times during the day he's going back home and spending time with his family he was not somebody again someone who's as busy as he was you'd think that he would be all the time with his community but it's a lot of time with his family um the third, fourth thing is that how he, he, and this is where productivity really plays a role, the idea of how he maintained a, um, he, he fulfilled the obligations of every single person around him. You never hear not a single wife, not a single child, not a single sahabi ever complain, Ya Rasulullah, you did not spend enough time with me. Oh Ya Rasulullah, you're too busy for me. Like you'd think again, one of the, I mean, how many times my own wife complains about me not spending time with right. her or, or the kids or right. How many times do people come like, Hey, you're not spending enough time with me. But the Prophet not a single person ever said, Oh, you're not spending time with me. Why? Not because of the quantity of time, because of the quality of time. He was there. He was fully present. Whenever he, when he, when he was, when he was with Aisha, he was fully with Aisha. When he was with the, with the Sahaba, he was fully with the Sahaba. When he was with his kids, he was fully with his kids. He was not like the way, unfortunately, we are, which is you know half our brain is at work and half our brain is with our families. And I think that is 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 another very key. His presence, the way he was very very present um, in every aspect of his life, whether it's in his salah whether it's in his, in his family life, whether it's in his community. And that present meant that he was able to maintain that. Um, and finally, of course, this idea of barakah. I mean, just the idea of how much, you know, just again, 23 years. I mean, 23 years goes by really fast. For 23 years to achieve what the Prophet ﷺ achieved uh, successfully, completely changed his Bedouin Arabs into a unified force, completely transformed the religion of Arabia, completely transformed the rituals, teaching entire religion. I mean, it just mind-boggling, just 23 years he achieved that. I mean, that is Barakah. And one of the secrets of that Barakah, and I feel, is, is the fact that he was very, very conscious of his night prayers, that he is Qiyamul Layl. You think that someone who might be very busy, might be tired, like, I can't, I'm going to sleep. But he realized that him praying long at night helped him have enough barakah and push to lead a successful life. And this is one of the, the one of those illogical things. You think like if I wake up three right. or four in the morning, I'm gonna struggle the rest of the day, I'm gonna be sleepy the rest of the day. We're discounting the barakah factor there. And the Prophet understood that and he implemented in his life. SubhanAllah. So if I'm just going to summarize, so number one, you mentioned that a very important key here is in order to avoid um, uncertainty, we need to have rut routine and structure in our lives because that helps us organize our day our day to day. And as Muslims, alhamdulillah, we've been blessed with the five daily prayers. And this gives us a nice, you know, five different pegs or milestones even of the day where we can revolve um, 
uh, many of our tasks or objectives uh, throughout the day uh, in that fashion. And this is something the Prophet Sallallahu also exemplified. Number two is spending time with your family. Um, believe it or not, the Prophet Sallallahu made so much time for his family despite all of the success that he actually had in his mission. Many people might not imagine that or assume this. And I think today in our times too, I hear this a lot with men and, and you know, uh, marital um, co- coaching that I do. They'll say, well, I work so hard or I'm working 80 hours a week for my family. But yet your family's complaining that you're never around and present, right? And when you are, you're, you're still giving your focus to an iPhone, which isn't even aware of you. <laughs> you know, so so this is and this really does tie into the third um, point here of barakah, right? Is that if we really believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence and his names and attributes as he described, and of course the truthfulness of our prophets and messengers and, and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, then yes, praying to Hajjud, getting up for Fajr, um, sometimes having four or six hours of sleep is not actually going to take away from your day and productivity and success. In fact, it could actually amplify um, what you do even more so. And this is something that I think is an, is another way to understand barakah is sometimes barakah is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reciprocates or your return on investment is so much more than the actual human effort you put in. And you're like, wow, how did that happen? Or where did that come from? Right? Absolutely. And and that may be another way to really kind of grasp this idea of barakah in our daily lives. Absolutely. I mean, one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is Shakur, right? The most grateful, even subhanAllah, like, you think that you know he he doesn't need us, we need him, but he's still one of his names as Shakur, who's very very thankful. Now you think about it, if someone you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala say him being thankful to you, like just can you imagine what does that mean? I mean, like that, that you're you're like getting you're getting like he's gonna sort you out. You don't you have to worry about anything. You just have to just do your part, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will take care of the rest. I think that's the powerful thing. But again, sometimes you know Shaitan plays with the head, and also on my own nafs can be very lazy. We think oh. You think, oh, but how much time? And I want to have time. And what about this? What about that? But it's, 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 and this is what the challenge, like you said at the beginning, this Surah Baqarah, and I think that is the key factor here that's missing in a lot of our lives. Barakallahu feek. Thank you so much, Brother Muhammad, for all your brilliant insights and, and sharings. And I hope uh, the audience benefits and understands the power uh, of the message that you shared with us today. Um, I, as some of you know, have a practice called uh, Nude Human Consulting, which offers spiritual counseling and relationship coaching for Muslims. And I've been a follower of Brother Muhammad for a long time. And uh, I was blessed and honored to make the connection in the acquaintance uh, recently. And uh, we also uh, got to know each other more. We both recognized that we have very similar visions and hope for our ummah, our brothers and sisters. And we also have different niches and specializations in how we can provide those services of personal transformation, to personal development, and of course, achieving a successful life in this and the next. And we're very happy and, and um, excited to announce that, inshallah, we're going to start a professional collaboration. And Muhammad Faris, why don't you tell us a bit more about what that's going to, to mean for our um, our particular audiences and and and, uh, and community absolutely so again I was, I was so happy to uh, finally meet you Karim and, and talk to you I, it's funny that I've actually checked Noor Consulting years back and I was I was applauding saying this is exactly what we needed somebody who can bring in the Islamic side of psychology and spiritual counseling that is that was very very neat in the community and I was so happy to see somebody who's doing this on, on a personal level um, and I wanted to support you so when we met we spoke so you know what it's funny that I realized that 
your work focuses a lot on helping people get from being stuck, from facing personal challenges, whether it's addiction or anxiety or marital issues, and get to the point where you help them kind of resolve those issues or move forward with those issues. And my coaching, so productivity coaching, kind of is, is where you take somebody once in, when they're ready to move forward and achieve goals and really help them get things done and move forward. So I'm really excited. When we spoke, realized, you know what, it's almost like continuum where we help people, we're all working on different fronts, moving a Muslim, moving somebody from being stuck to being not just unstuck, but really leading a healthy, balanced lifestyle. So as a special, I wanted to, number one, uh, welcome Noor clients, all of Noor clients, all who listens to the Noor show, to check out a page that I've set up called productums.com forward slash Noor. I'm offering a, a very special, this is only for the Noor community and for those who listen to this podcast, a very, very special 60% discount on all my coaching for you to check out on productums.com forward slash Noor. Because I truly feel like if you've invested so much into moving yourself forward, I wanted to take you that extra step to achieving your life goals and living a healthy lifestyle. And this is, you know, just for Noor clients, just go to productums.com forward slash Noor. I'll be more than happy for us to have a chat for half an hour, make sure that you're a good fit, that you're ready for this. And once you're ready for it, then inshallah ta'ala, I'll be more than happy to help you facilitate that self-learning and self-transformation we spoke about early on. Akramakoma, that's extremely generous of you, Akhi. And, you know, I, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses our efforts and that we have to come together and recognize nobody can do it by themselves. And even the Prophet ﷺ, with all his success, we know that he had a powerful community and a loyal community and his Sahaba had different facets and strengths that they all harnessed together to help serve and transform their community and, of course, the world at large. Now, this idea of Noor tries to help people become more whole. And what I love about your work is you take people that are whole and healed and you really get them to hit the ground running and start achieving things more practically and materialize all of the ambitions into actual reality. So I think, as you said, this is a wonderful um, way where we can combine forces, provide this holistic continuum for our brothers and sisters, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, increase us and, um, of course, um, productive Muslim uh, clients as well, especially those who are looking for relationship work, um, spiritual counseling, things that are uh, connected more to mental cleansing. Uh, we, of course, are very excited to receive those of interest as well. And uh, inshallah, we we will have a page uh, linked to the show for people to check that out. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Sidi Muhammad, or or final comments? No, I just first of all say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to work with you, and thank you for your listeners for, for listening to this, and, and I hope this is beneficial. I always leave this wherever I give an interview. I always end with advice that was given to me by uh, Sheikh Abdul bin Bayya, who is a well-renowned scholar. I went to his house a long time ago, and me and my friend asked him for advice. And his advice was very simply, very beautifully, have sincere intentions and work hard. And I think that that is the sort of the essence of a, a healthy, successful life for this life in the world, where you have sincere intentions, have good intentions, and work hard, and you'll see the barakah in your life. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Akhi. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the sincere and the successful in this life and the next. And I hope to have you on again real soon. I mean, inshallah, no problem, anytime. 
Jazakallah khair. Kareem Sirajuddin here. Thank you for tuning in. Please visit NurHuman.com to learn more about how I provide personal, spiritual, and relationship counsel and growth. Don't forget to visit CoffeeWithKareem.com to see the latest news and updates about this podcast. Please generously donate and help sponsor this show to keep on going at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. That's patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem.